Lord, your name is beautiful. Your name is King of Glory. Your name is hope and promise. Your name is present and future. Your name is the bread of life, and your name is the rescuer. Your name is redeemer, and your name is friend. God, you you are salvation. You are hope. And Father, I pray that you would fill this Easter morning with the Mandarin family as we gather with no other name but Jesus. God, I just speak your name and in the fullness of what that means for each of us and the fullness of what it means across eternity that the name of Jesus it is, is worthy. It carries weight. It holds domain. Lord, it will be proclaimed forever and ever across the eternal realms. And Father, I pray it will be proclaimed in our hearts. There's no other name. And so in and for that name, we are grateful. And in and for that name, we live and move and have our being. Yeah, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So good morning, church. Like, this is magical. It just came up on stage. I love it. <laughs> we're, um, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about Jesus. So, uh, welcome to church. I'm, I'm kind of bawling right now, so forgive me if I just cry my way through a message. Um, I hope this brings much hope for you, and I hope it speaks to you where you are. That's been the prayer. There's, there's a um, powerful reality to know who I am is to know the I am. And we as a church, um, if you happen to be passing through as a guest today, we've been talking through the I am statements of Jesus. And this is week seven or eight. And I, I would like to just wrestle with um, the 11th chapter of the book of John, the 25th verse. And this is a day that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But we celebrated the truth of who he proclaimed himself to be in the 11th chapter as he um, fulfilled the first song we sang this morning. As he stepped into Lazarus' life and said, um, why don't we have a little fest right here and let's run out of this grave. And so he called out Lazarus by name and said, come out. And it was a declaration and Lazarus, as um, the tombstone was rolled away, um, came out and they took some laps together. And I'm very confident that there was quite a bit of energy and joy in that place in that moment. And Jesus made a proclamation before doing this in the 11th chapter, the 25th verse. And so if you walk into this room feeling very buried beneath situations or circumstances, um, welcome to the reality of walking this earth. And here's what Jesus said about himself. I am the resurrection and the life. This was before Easter. This was him just stepping into a life and saying, I want you to know who I am and to know who... He is. To know the I am is to know who I am. And so we, we will wrestle with that beauty and joy of what it means to meet and experience the resurrection and the life. I would love to just unfold this story of scripture. There's, there's really not a lot of, um, greatness that a pastor brings to the table, but there is a lot of greatness that we bring when we open the scripture and begin to speak his word. 
And I think there's some things that he can encourage you with through his word this morning. And so I want to talk for a few minutes just about living in this tension of Easter Sunday morning and all of us celebrating. And most of us in this room were, um, you know, just rejoicing in the Lord. And, um, and for, for those of you who maybe aren't yet in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we would first pray that for you. But secondly, this is like the Super Bowl for us, except far better. Because there's a different champion every year. For us, there's one champion. His name is Jesus. And so um, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we like to do weird things throughout the week of, really throughout the entirety of the holy season because we stake our lives on Jesus. We stake our present on Jesus and we stake our hope of the future on Jesus. And so there's a tension that we live in that's very real. Um, there's a tension when we come in and proclaim the resurrection while at the same time there's a lot of us in this room that are dealing with overwhelming circumstances and I wanted to address the tension because when Jesus made the proclamation in John eleven twenty five that he's the resurrection and the life, he made it in the middle of the deepest point of grief for a family. And he made it in the middle of the ultimate brokenness of this world. He made it in the face of death. And he, and he, I don't think it was light for him. And so I, I wanted to just maybe point out a few ways that I deal with the tension of life. For instance, um, I was, um, I have a friend of mine that has been a 15, 20 year friend and he looked at me one moment. We were writing. We were having this conversation. It was about a story that happened and he just said, this is right. And I can't possibly, it's like one of those you had to be there moments. You've ever had that moment when everything just came together on this earth and you looked at one another and said, this moment is so right. And we have those moments that we live in. You know, I, I have brought some pictures with me. So there's a first picture that's just a right moment for me. Um, it's popping up on the screen. It's a good moment. Oh, isn't that precious? I started crying looking at it. I kind of practiced these things not to. But this was our second child being born, our first child walking in. And two things that she did in this extraordinarily right moment. She walked in singing the Barney song. (laughs) First words out of her mouth. So excited to meet Lydia. And she sings, I love you. You love me. We're We're a happy family with a great big hug. And a kiss from me to you. And my mom and dad were in the room. I looked over and there's like, there's dust everywhere in the room. Because she broke into then Jesus loves me and just saying that over her sister. And we're just sitting going, this is so right. I brought another picture with me and, um, this was such a right moment. I don't, I don't know if Mike and Bonnie are here. They're in town. If they're here, they can wave at me. And so um, I was standing with John Turner, and I actually had pop up on my um, social network hop this week three years ago when we as a church sacrificed and gave blocks so that um, a, a hillside will be gathered right now, even in this very moment, with several hundred people in the mountainous region of Tenwa, Haiti, and just singing about the wonders of Jesus in Creole. And, and we as a church um, were able to finish this church it started with just Mike and ants, and I'm not going to elaborate on that. You have to go to Haiti to hear the ant story, and it's worthy. But it just began with a vision, and it and it's not ended. It just will be a declaration spot now for the glory of God. And John Turner and I got to go back a year later, and that's the two of us just standing. We were locked out, which is smart <laughs> to lock out Mark Siegel and John Turner. Like, don't don't let us in. Something will happen to the place. And, and uh, we were locked out but standing in the window. And John, in all seriousness, wherever you're sitting, there was a puddle beneath our feet. 
just for the sake of Mandarin Baptist and more importantly, for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus. It was right. It's just one of those moments. Now, this is a weird one. I saw it last week, and I'm just weird, so welcome to my weirdness. But this picture just was right to me. There's two of them, I think. And so um, this dude on the far right, I'm a runner. This happened in the Boston Marathon, which is the um, epic running moment. And this guy's running for his friends who lost their lives in Desert Storm, in, not in Desert Storm, but in Afghanistan. And he reaches the finish line 100 yards out. And I, my first marathon that I ran, this exact same thing happened. I'm running with a guy. The crowds are starting to form. We're two-tenths from the finish. And he totally bonked, depleted everything. And he had nothing left in his legs. This guy completely bonked. And so he crawled his way to the finish. I looked at that and I thought, that is so right. We can make all kinds of spiritual application. I'll refrain. That's just a powerful, powerful moment. But have you ever been in moments when it's fundamentally tense? Like, I like the right moments. They don't happen a lot for me. I live in the tension. I want you to meet a friend of mine. Her name is Carrie. I love Carrie to this day. This is Carrie in about 2008. The last time I saw Carrie lead worship, She was leading at Easter. She's sitting at the piano, and she is singing with all of her heart. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. And a month later, she was not on this earth. It's the tension. It's the tension. 39-year-old cancer, I will see Jesus. I want to tell you more about her in a little bit. It's the tension of moments like this. This is so cute, but it's so not. This is Ella. And the other one is is my daughter, but this is Ella. Ella, whose father, who was mentally unstable, was digging a grave to bury her alive in the middle of the tension, and there was a knock on the orphanage gate. This is Ella. I'll tell you more about her in a few minutes as we wrestle with living in the tension. I want to meet you the third person. This is what we do many times when we go to Birmingham. I so wish I could have met my father-in-law. I so wish I could have. I mean, the stories about him are amazing. He died at an extraordinarily young age, 38 years old. My wife was 10. And there's a tension about this. And we stand around his grave, and, and we don't stand, we don't, this isn't short or a cool picture moment. This is storytelling. If you met my mother-in-law, which she'll be here next weekend, so don't tell her I said anything negative because I'm not, but don't take it that way. But if you've met my mom-in-law, she can talk, and it, it really is storytelling. I mean, we'll, we, she wants the grandkids to know the history. She wants them to know who this Mike Kincaid was and what he meant, and as a byproduct of serving in our United States Coast Guard in a long-term illness, he died far too young. Living in the tension. How do I sort out the tension? And here's what I would say to you, you can, you can trust Jesus in the tension. That's my first truth for the day. And I want to just share with you a little more about Scripture in each one of these stories and just take a few moments, if you'll allow me. So, Jesus, I pray before we advance forward that you would teach us about who you are and who we are. And God, you would meet us in the tension of a lot of celebration at this Easter while we also bring a lot of death. And so, Father, I pray that you will teach us what it means at Easter to live in the tension and to begin to trust you in it. 
So, Father, um, through your Holy Spirit, I pray you would do far better than I can do. And I pray that the name that will be left in this room will be Jesus. Amen. So John 11 is, isn't centrally about a guy named Lazarus, although that's the big story. And that's the story you want to remember. He was resurrected from the dead. Oorah! This really is not a story about Lazarus. It's a story about family and friends. It's a story about the Jewish community. It's a story about tension. And it ultimately is also a story about death and resurrection. But this is far more than that. It's a story about sisters who love their brother and who love Jesus. It's about a community that's walking through this anguish together. It's about what it means to be a part of that, and it's about extraordinary truth. Jesus says in John eleven four and 5, he heard this, and here's what he said. This sickness will not end in death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God could be glorified through it. And Jesus, I, this is the most interesting sentence to me. So now Jesus loved Martha, he loved Mary, and he loved Lazarus. And then the very next statement, which isn't going to show up on the screen, is, so he waited two days for him to die. So he says in this verse, this isn't going to end in death. Um, He carries that forward. He talks about his love relationship for the people, and then Lazarus dies. It's an extraordinary, interesting, tense moment. How do you deal with that? What's Jesus teaching us? And, And I think this is a story about us that are living in attention, who are living with death. And most of you could put pictures up like I did and say, yes, we're living with that. How do we make it through? Jesus speaking to Martha about her brother rising again as you make your way through. And I would love for you to read the 11th chapter of the book of John because I'm not going to read every verse. I want to just kind of communicate it to you what Jesus was doing. And Martha responds that he will rise again, meaning Lazarus, and he will rise with the resurrection. And in that time, this was kind of an idea. Like, there wasn't even agreement among the Israelite or the Jewish leadership about the resurrection. In fact, if you want to really create a little anguish, crack up a fire and bring in the Pharisees and Sadducees and let them debate the resurrection, and it gets bloody in that moment. And so she's just kind of saying, I do believe this. I think there's something that's going to happen in the future, Jesus. And until then, this is where a lot of us land in the tension. I'm just going to have to gut this thing out. I'm just going to have to like suck it up and make my way through. And I, I do think she says, but he will rise again on the last day. And if you would like, Mary said in light of Martha's response, and that's just not good enough right now. It's painful. It's hurt. Jesus is speaking to Martha about her brother, and he is speaking about the just wonder. And in verses 25 through 27, listen to what he says to them. Jesus says to them, I am the resurrection and the life. Before I read further, what's, what's a critical word that you see um, as I read these verses? What's, what's maybe the key word for you? I'll give you the chance. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God that comes into the world. You might want to leap at a key word for you, what left off the page for you. The I am is absolutely powerful, and there is no wrong answer, so hallelujah. I'll take it off of an exam moment for you and just kind of run with my own thought. I hooked into that that four times he asked them about believing. What are you in this middle of the tension? What do you believe? The Greek word for believe is pisteo. It's a phenomenal Greek word because it's far more than a cognitive assent about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. 
The word pisteo literally means, look, I believe, I have faith in this, and maybe a better word that would fit this moment, I trust this. And if you'll just allow me to read it again, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who trusts in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and trusts in me will never die. Do you trust this? Yes, Lord. I trust this heart and soul. I trust this with all that I am. I think that he's saying, look, I'm not asking you for a cognitive response of belief. Do you believe something? Um, I used to do a lot of stuff uh, in camp world and in other world, and, and, you know, sadly, adults won't participate with you in things like this, but we built community in a lot of different ways. And here's, here's what we never had. We never had believe falls. You know, you just kind of stand up there for a minute. If the, the group's gathered around below you, you know, Samuel comes down and says, I'm going to stand here. Just fall. I got you. We never had a belief fall. Because here, here's like, I, just, I believe you'll catch me. This is awesome. That the reason we didn't have belief falls is because we were asked to have. If you've never had a trust fall, I'm so sorry for you. We will be doing that at the end of the service. Uh, you can meet. It's going to be off the top of the building. It's I mean, we're calling for it. We're pushing all in today. There's a reason they're not belief false. It's not a, I'm I'm thinking like you, Jesus. He's going, no, no. I'm asking you, Mary and Martha, even in the middle of the tomb, which you'll hear in just a moment, where they're going to tell him he stinketh, even in the middle of that, even in the middle of these circumstances, will you trust me? Will you believe that I am working in the middle of the tension? I, I, I experienced this with Carrie. If, if you want to put the pictures back up, she was the kind of bald-headed girl. I don't know how to describe her. When Carrie met us, she didn't believe Jesus. She trusted Jesus. She met us by a van. We were going to Atlanta. And I've, you've heard this story before if you've been here, but she met us by the van and she said, I just left the doctor. I lit up like a Christmas tree. And here's the reality. And if you want to hear what it's like to live in the tension, learn from Carrie. She has no tension, and she hasn't for 10 years, and I miss her so much. But she held out her head. She's an engineer. She's very pragmatic. She left engineering to come lead worship for our church. She just led us to Jesus, and she held out her hands and said, here's the percentages that the doctors say. Super high. Here's Jesus. And I trust him. If he so chooses to trump these percentages, he's Jesus. If he doesn't, he's Jesus, I believe. I think that's what Jesus is saying to them in the middle of the tension. And believe me, believe me, trust me. Carrie didn't find that to be some small Issue That was a deep trust that carried into her room on Memorial Day that year, 2008. I trust Jesus with this. I just put this sentence on the screen. Don't just believe in God. Believe him and trust him. And living in the tension is for God's glory and our gain. And our tensions are all going to be extraordinarily different but they're very real and they offer opportunity for us to then step into others' tension as well.
But not only is Jesus in the tension, he meets us in our grief. I love that about him in the 11th chapter of the book of John. These guys know of miracles together. They know of worship together. And Jesus steps in in the middle of their grief, in the depths of their wounds, with the rock grave in the background. He just stepped in the middle of it, and he sits down among them, and there are broken hearts that surround him. Mary and Martha want to understand the present. They want to understand what is going on. And they're very forceful with him. And they're very careful, but forceful. Where have you been? Where have, what have you done? Was there hope in vain? And they have no idea how to see backstage into the reality of what Jesus is a part of. Not just in the next few sentences, but also in the next few weeks as Jesus carries the weight of all of our sin, death, and shame. They don't, they don't have that as the view of their life. The lens is very down to this tension. All they can see is the black curtain that is across their lives. They're despondent. There are pleas. There are grievous prayers. And they feel like their prayers are bouncing off of indifferent walls. Does anyone relate to that on Easter? Just kind of wrestling and saying, Lord, would you step into this? And for four days since Lazarus has died, there is a mountain of grief among them. And Martha, here's Jesus is coming, and runs out to greet him and meets him on the ledge of the crumbling of her life and says, Lord, where were you? And he steadies her with this truth and reality. I'm present. I am here. I kind of wonder if she's thinking about this and just kind of picturing Lazarus, hearing the lilt of his voice, thinking about the dirt beneath his nails, thinking about him walking toward them. Anything you can imagine, I'm sure it's being pondered. And they weren't just weeping. If you read the scripture, it's not just Mary and Martha weeping. The whole community has come around and they're just kind of sitting in going, Jesus, we know you're a big deal. Help us in this. And he just kind of responded to Martha and answered some of her questions, told her he's a resurrection and a life. That's a pretty big deal. And then he said to Martha, where's Mary? Would you bring her back? And Mary asked almost the exact same words as Martha. If you had been here, Lazarus would be well. Martha said them to Jesus. Here's the great difference. Mary cried them over his feet just wept over Jesus and said, if you'd been here, one of the answers evoked a theological truth. I am the resurrection and the life. The other evoked two of the most powerful words in Scripture if you need a Savior that is intimate and real. The next two words after Mary was weeping at his feet, asking if you were just here, the two words were, Jesus wept. You don't have a a Savior who doesn't identify and meet you where you are. If you are in this Easter morning and there is tension and grief, Jesus will meet you. He will speak theological truth over you that meets you at your belief and trust level, and he will weep with you. And I long for a Savior that meets me in that centerpiece of passion. He doesn't just weep for us, but with us, and he shares the burden of our grief. He steps into our mourning, and he brings life. As I, as I brought Ella here, I just, I thought of her, and I thought of Mike and Bonnie, and this is, again, Ella. And the doors to Cabaret opened to her five years ago. She's now a kindergartner, and she is so beautiful. Our family claims two Ellas. We have Ebony Ella, who's in the room right now, no, I'm sorry, Ivory Ella, who's in the room right now, and Ebony Ella, who lives in Haiti. We, we love this child. 
And there's so many stories I could tell about her, but just a practical part was in the middle of a, a, a grave that was dug for her, the Lord opened a gate because he is the gate and he has fed her and clothed her. He's allowed her education and given her a family. He's met her and provided for her needs. But perhaps the moment that was most sacred for me was we were there, and um, some of you are long-term Baptists, and I'm just going to kind of let you know right now, Jesus likes this, and it's biblical. So can you rest with my next statement easy? We were having dance party. It's in the Psalms. You should try it. We were having dance party, and, and Ella and her posse, I think it was Mara and um, Ella and who am I? There's three of them. Benny, Benny, thank you, and Luke, and they're all dancing, and, and we are just having so much fun, and they get this little awesome dance in the middle of all four of them, and, and, and I don't recall Mike's story, but I just remember we went upstairs and had our devotion that night as we closed out the night after, uh, none of us danced, but the kids did. After after the dance party, we went up and had a devotion, and Mike just uh, and talked with us, and he said, look, I just want you to know, when we received, not this child, but one of her friends, one of her best friends, we were told that this child would never walk. And I just want you to know, we just danced before the Lord. And he grieved with us in the tension, and he suffered with us in the tension, and it was, it's horrifying for us and for him about what has happened, but our God, he steps in and not only grieves with us, and not only weeps with us, but he, re- he redeems for us. What you have to understand if you're battling the celebration of Easter is that the only pathway to resurrection is death. And we walk through these tensions, these valleys to understand that Jesus is real. That he weeps and meets us where we are. But in the middle of that pathway, I, I wrote this question and don't answer it because it's, it's a bad question to ask. But I just want to ask you in the middle of the tension you're living in, which is more incredible? One who raises the dead or weeps with us? Which is more incredible? One who raises the dead or one weeps with us? And I just say, yes. <laughs> and Jesus says, yes. Jesus dignifies our grief and he provides us with a theological truth in which and on which to stake our lives. I am the resurrection and the life. And in the middle of that, he defines himself with being an intimate savior who walks with us. I weep. And I don't know what your image is of Jesus, but I love a savior who will weep with me while declaring truth over me. Glory to God. My conclusion is this. Jesus invades death. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus stepped into the pain, not just meeting them where they were, but taking them to a new work of his own. I appreciate John eleven thirty eight 38, because it says, then Jesus deeply moved as he came to the tomb. That's another Jesus wept moment. And so he's, he's weeping twice here, deeply moved, scarred at his guts. This is not what I intended when I breathed creation into being. The depths of sin are just bombarding him. And he asked them, take away the stone. It's been four days, and I have to tell you, I love the King James in this moment because the King James says, they all responded, you can't do that because he he stinketh. Just use that today, like 20 times a day. Tell your, no, I won't, I won't say that. He stinks. This is, 
This is going to get ugly. Pause. And Jesus just just did no pause whatsoever. He did up and did what we ought to do in the middle of the tension. God, I thank you for being God. God, I thank you for being truth. God, I thank you for the provision of way. And God, I thank you for your resurrection and your life. This whole thing, dating back to me saying that I love these people and that I love Lazarus, this whole thing is so that you gain glory. And if you will gain glory on this temporal exhaustion of death, because Lazarus will die again, if you just gain glory through this temporal exhaustion of death, Father, it will be beautiful. And may this whole region not declare anything other than Jesus is supreme. And so in John eleven forty three, he declares, Lazarus, come out. There's a lot of good pastors that say if he didn't call him by name, the whole place would have emptied. Jesus was teaching, with reaching with power and authority, and he was speaking into death and giving it an order. Come out. Jesus speaks the same word to you on this day. Even though the enemy wants to bury you. Jesus is in the habit of interrupting funerals, whatever they may be, and stepping in and saying, come out. I know that many of us have walked into this room buried by circumstance, situation, pain, and sorrow. He grieves with you. He meets you where you are, and he carries you out of death into life. Welcome to Easter. This is the gospel in its purest form. Matt read it earlier. I would just like to make a simple statement. Jesus raises the dead. Jesus raises the dead. And not only does he do that, but he has this beautiful call of discipleship in this passage. Lazarus come out, and then in the 44th verse he says, would you please take the grave clothes off of him? So not only does he rescue him out of death, spiritually that's true for us, but he also disciples us into life. Deepens us into truth. He says, don't walk around as a live person in the grave clothes of what you once were, but walk around in the fullness of who you are in him. This is the gospel in its purest form. Lazarus, come out, unwrap him, and let him go. Glory to God. So my father-in-law, if that picture can come up, Susan's dad, he was so wise. And I've already said this, I'll say it again. I wish I could have met that man. Because he was, ah. But here's what he said to mom. He said, Ruth, we're all dying. It's just that I happen to know when. And so let's live. She was having one of those, you know, let's take care of you moments. Don't go do that. You know, the, what, what gets tamped down. And she's, he's, he's, Ruth, we're all going to die. I just happen to know when. So let's live fully right now. Let's live fully for the grace of the gospel. The, the gospel in its most pure form is that Jesus raises the dead. And out of that life and what you see us standing around, out of that, I, I just have to tell you, I, I told Susan, I can't possibly do justice to my mother-in-law. She is remarkable. He resurrected the dead through her and her own life. He has raised life so that I told Susan this morning, I'm not exaggerating to say thousands of people across the great state of Alabama, Roll Tide, are singing of the goodness of the Savior because she has carried forward for 40 years now with this truth and reality. We don't, we, we all are going to die. We're, so let's just live fully in this moment. And is our grandmother and mother not fully alive. 
She fully sings to the glory of God. She's been leading worship for 44 years in, in a beautiful church in Vestavia Hills. She has taught children for 40 plus years to sing at a camp you know, called Sumatonga in the state of Alabama. She has welcomed more people into our home than in my own home. And we have a lot of people in our home. Her door, we always had to call and ask before we came, which rooms are taken? Because she just says, grace to it, grace to it, come in, there's a place for you. And that's just because I think she didn't just believe Mike Kincaid, she believed Jesus when he said, I want you to live fully alive because I'm the resurrection and the life. And his little 10-year-old daughter, I happen to marry. And has he ever carried the grace and knowledge of Jesus through one of the most kind and amazing people that I've ever met who was saturated with the gospel? Ruth, all of us are going to die. But what we have in the next few moments is life. Let's live it to the full. I think that's the gospel message of Easter. That's the hope of a Savior who tramples into the midst of death and brings life, who grieves with us and weeps in its sorrow, and who meets us where we are. I hope your Easter, oh, I hope your Easter is filled with resurrection and life, church. Could we pray together? Jesus, I want to close this service praying the scripture. And considering standing over a grave and hearing these words, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor is not in vain. Father, I pray that you would raise the dead this morning. Hearts, circumstances, sorrow, grief, joy, possibility, everything that came into this room. I pray that we will meet you at the cross and the empty tomb for the sake of Jesus we hold fast. Church, we tend to close our services praising and worshiping. And so we want to end this morning together just beholding again the cross and the empty tomb of our Savior. We also want to leave space for you not to just go eat a big meal in about five minutes, but to feast on who Jesus is. So we want you to just pause and worship, to pause and pray, to pause and sing. To pause and find an altar, if you would. If you're here and need someone to pray for you, some of our pastors are coming even now toward the front, and they would, they would count it a joy to lift you by name to the Savior. We just pray that you could have a day of resurrection and life. And so church, would you stand with me and worship with me? Would you sing and pray with me? Would you find an altar with me? Could we just proclaim Jesus together in a conclusion of an Easter worship encounter?